Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Nextdoor is many things, a growing tech company, a hyper-local social platform, a community hub, and a nuanced snapshot into the psyches of Americans taken quite literally where they live. Now, it's a complicated bit of business to keep people safe and happy online during good times, but the double pandemics of coronavirus and systemic racism have provided unique challenges and opportunities. We're digging into all of that and more today with Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor, on Leadership Next. I'm Ellen McGirt. And I'm Alan Murray. This is the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. And Ellen, I'm really excited about this interview you're doing today. You know, I live in the suburbs of Connecticut and for 14 years have gotten up very early every morning when I was in town and gone into New York City and never had much of a relationship with my community. But since the lockdown in March, all of that has changed. I walk the neighborhood, you know, say hello to people. And one of the things that has helped me connect has been nextdoor.com. It's a great source of information about where to find, hard to find items. Uh, We have a a, a very fertile thread about uh, wild animals that wander into the neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, so, we do too. <laughs> so I'm hooked. <laughs> we do too. We have all that and more. I'm here in the suburbs of St. Louis, and it has been a wonderful way to figure out what a copperhead actually looks like. We have really spirited debates on all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, as a uh, person who began my career in in local newspapers, it's a pretty interesting business model. It's a kind of a new opportunity to connect local businesses with the people who they serve in, in, in a way that is, has been absent since the decline of local papers. It absolutely has. And at the same time, you know, people right now are looking for all kinds of hyperlocal information about safety, what's open, what's shut, which contractors are using masks. So it seems like it's a good time to be in the business of connecting neighbors. Well, go at it, Ellen. Looking forward to the interview. What I love about this conversation with Sarah is that in her mind, Nextdoor is about much, much more than being a simple source of information. It's about capturing the power of what Brian Stevenson calls proximity, cultivating the goodwill that can exist when people choose to see each other as part of the same community. Sarah, welcome to Leadership Next. Thanks, Ellen, for hosting me. I really appreciate it. So I'd like to begin by thanking my neighbors on Nextdoor for tracking down and returning my cat, Eddie, who wanders around and has way more friends than we ever knew. Obviously, this is one of the best and most beautiful use cases for the app, right? Absolutely. In fact, I will tell you, my product manager always says, your cat is not lost. They have just decided to spend time away from you. (laughs) (laughs) It's really true. So you've had a busy career in tech. And for gender diversity advocates, you're a real success story and also a huge ally. And I want to do talk about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. You were the chief financial officer at Square, got them through the IPO, and before that, the senior VP of finance and strategy at Salesforce. Mm-hmm. So why next door? And what was your big vision for the company when you joined? Yeah, so in one way, it was the easiest decision I've ever made, and the other very hard, because I was leaving something that I also really loved um, and felt you know so excited about what Square's mission was. But when Nextdoor came knocking, frankly, it was three things that made it an easy decision. Um, The first was definitely this theme of community. 
I'm sure we'll come to it, but I grew up in Northern Ireland. I grew up in a very small community, but I grew up during the Troubles. And so I could see both the blessing and the curse of, you know, communities that were at war with each other, but also what a strong community could mean. Um, and it was something my parents really instilled in, in both my brother and I. And so to find this arc of a career that could bring me back to community and hopefully be part of building you know, a stronger local communities and to ultimately cultivate a kinder world. I mean, it's really, it's a dream come true. The second reason I came is I also think it is a very good business. And I think the business part is important because a good, strong business model allows you to keep investing in your purpose and mission. So, you know, you could go and say, I want to be part of building strong communities in a nonprofit, but you'll kind of be eternally stymied by being small. You're always in fundraising mode, where if you can get a business model working, it kicks into gear and allows you to really bring those dreams to life. And I think we can do great things from business perspective, helping businesses in particular act local. And then finally, the people. It's always the reason to do anything. Um, it was both the people I met at next door, and it was also a little bit what you touched on, that I feel strongly that we need to see more women leaders in all places in the world, but tech is a place that has not been known as a bastion for female leadership. And so I wanted to kind of be, you know, what you can't see for the next generation and the next generation coming up, that women can be CEOs, women can lead big companies, big organizations to success, and they can do it with their own typical style, not needing to be the thing they're not, which is in this case, a man. Right. Absolutely. Now, so speaking of business, you did raise a big round in last September, 170 million, I think, if I have that right. That's right. So I'm curious if the pandemic changed any of your plans or if you were able to move things more quickly or pivot in any way? The pandemic has changed so much and in, uh, in other ways changed so little. So, you know, there has to be an arc of what you're trying to build. And we are building a company that allows you ultimately to cultivate a kinder world, but to do it by cultivating stronger local communities. And in this moment with the pandemic, there's never been more need for local and for the power of proximity. I was just talking with an academic about this rise that he is seeing in how social trust is going up. People are relying on their neighbors more and more. And even with a lot of fear and uncertainty out there, they are absolutely understanding that local is the place they're going to get their most trusted information. So while it didn't change, you know, kind of a, a longer arc of next door, it really caused us to pick up our game and move more quickly. So you know, going from February to March, we saw the number of active members on the platform grow by 80% um, one week to the next. We immediately kicked into gear to make sure people were getting the right information that we were helping our neighbors stay safe. We then saw this rise of wanting to give help and then ultimately receive help. And most recently, we have really accelerated our focus on local businesses, recognizing that this is both a global pandemic, but it's also a financial crisis, particularly if you're in that small business category. Yeah, that's the important piece, too. Let's talk about the business model. I know it, it, it sponsored content and partnerships for the most part and very locally focused. And of course, the local businesses are in real jeopardy across the country. What are you learning about how they're doing, how they're innovating on the platform, and how are you helping them? 
Yeah. So in, in effect, we are all about hyper local. So actually, we can go from the Fortune One, so a Walmart, acts hyper local. They might be the largest company by revenue in the world, uh-huh. but the local Walmart is often where people go for you know, their pharmacy or for their cat food or, or the place they go often to meet friends, all the way down to, you know, the shop on the corner, literally the local coffee shop or maybe the local dry cleaners. And next door is there to make sure that those businesses get the most important customers, their neighbors, out in front of them to know what's going on in their business. And the interesting thing about COVID is the need for particularly small businesses to communicate with neighbors has never been higher. So think about it, in prior times, maybe you wanted to communicate you know, a new item that you had on your shelf or a new menu item, and maybe you did that once or twice a year. Now, on almost not quite daily basis, but people wanna know, are you open? Do you do delivery? Do you do takeout? How are you staying safe? How are you keeping your employees safe? How are you keeping me safe? So the number of questions and the dialogue has really accelerated. And so what Nextdoor can do is get those small businesses in front of neighbors to have that dialogue. And so we've done this by releasing, actually fairly recently, something we call a business engagement bundle. So it allows businesses to post twice a month for free. It allows them to put a local deal in front of their neighbors. Um, And it really allows them to be part of a community with instant, I call it followership, So, Sarah, I want to talk about the experience Black neighbors are having on Nextdoor. They're not always feeling as welcome. There have been difficult conversations that have not gone well, which, of course, matches lots of experiences that people are having across the U.S. But you have really decided to jump in in an interesting way. Could you talk a bit about what those situations have been and what you've decided to do about it? Absolutely. So, you know, in the current environment, I think a lot of companies are thinking about what changes they need to make. And they tend to fall back more into how do I hire more black employees? Perhaps I can give to black organizations. And at Nextdoor, we can really give back by making fundamental to our product and making sure that Nextdoor is a platform and a product where everyone feels welcome, and in particular, a focus right now on black neighbors. Um, Because to your point, we've definitely seen examples where black neighbors have not felt welcome um, when they have seen some of the posts from their neighbors and their neighborhoods. Mm. And so this is a place where we can do many things. Some of them take years in the making, and some of them can be very short term. And so I think one is just making sure as a company that we're making it a number one focus. I think the second thing is helping people understand that Nextdoor is a platform that doesn't create thought bubbles. So you are actually talking to people who can be very different from you. How do we create those dialogues among people who might not otherwise know each other, except that they live in and around the same neighborhood, which actually gives them a vested interest in making that neighborhood safer and kinder. And then I think beyond that, are there things like kindness reminder Um, where we can slow people down, make people aware that we all carry bias, but how do we slow ourselves down so that bias doesn't manifest itself? So as we post, we're kind of back in our much more thoughtful, empathetic part of our brain. And then finally, that we moderate bad content off. And if neighbors are not stepping up to the plate and adhering to our guidelines, we're a community guideline platform, that frankly, that's just not content we want on Nextdoor. That's not a neighbor that unfortunately we want on Nextdoor, and that unequivocally there is no place for racism on Nextdoor. 
And and you set off quite a few conversations across the platform by declaring as a company that you cared, that you said that Black Lives Matter, too. You know, that was a very interesting moment. Yeah, it was important. And I think the most important thing was to also clarify that Black Lives Matter is a local conversation. Historically, Nextdoor has been a place where one way we do moderate is we kind of say national topics, you know, particularly politics, not really on Nextdoor. Let's move that to other platforms because we want to keep it local. You can definitely discuss local politics, Mm -hmm. but we try to keep topics that we think will become, you know, much more contentious off the platform. But Black Lives Matter happened, you know, George Floyd's murder, but clearly ahead of that, you've had many people, many, many people over years and years and years be impacted by systemic racism. And we felt it was time to really say this is something that at a community level, we need to want to talk about, be able to talk about, and be able to talk about in a constructive way. And that's a place where we've worked with many advisors over time, where we are making sure our guidelines are super clear to all neighbors and to our neighborhood moderators, um, and that we ourselves are making sure we're very crystal clear in our messaging as a company as well. You have such patience for the range of human experiences and expressions, and I do really admire that because it is there's tremendous cognitive dissonance when the person who may have rescued your cat also says something that that really speaks to their not understanding your own humanity and that when it comes to race. That did not happen to me, by the way. But those are the things that people are dealing with every day in the workforce. And that mm-hmm. one aspect of humanity is going very well, or your relationship, and the other one is how could you believe something that's, that completely disappears who I am as a person? Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't really have a question. I'm just yeah. sort of, <laughs> I'm just no, sort of looking out the window thinking, my God, this is a very big job. It's, um, I mean, I think you're hitting right on it. And, you know, at its core, if you go back to really the scientific underpinnings of Nextdoor, it's about this concept of social capital, right? And as we fill a bucket of social capital, I find your cat, I give you a recommendation for a plumber, I recognize that we are just two moms, you know, dealing with teenager issues. At the same time, you may say something that's very hurtful to me, I may say it right back at you, we may disagree on politics, we may be a different skin color. But hopefully, by creating some level of trust and build of social capital, we can deplete that bucket, but not get the whole way to the bottom of it in trying to work through how we can have empathy for each other. And it's something I grew up with. I saw hate really drive people to extremes, right, to actually go to war as a community. And I just so strongly believe that we all need to find these ways to come back together, preferably in real life. It's hard to hate when you're right up front to someone and to talk it out. It's not going to solve it. Um, I actually spent about a year and a half of my life in South Africa right after apartheid ended listening to the Truth and Reconciliation Committee on the radio. People were able to talk out. They weren't solving. No one was saying your experience was right or wrong. There was no judging. But just being able to say it created this cathartic moment. And I think in the U.S., we need to find ways to kind of get tough topics on the table instead of constantly trying to smooth things over, because otherwise I don't think our nation can heal. 
Right. I think you've really hit it. It's the peaceful living. It's the peaceful coexistence that that is without a common enemy. And then films, it's usually an alien shows up and we all have to pull it together. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's it because, uh, you know, we focus on the Amy Coopers who's been in the news and the quote unquote Karens who are supervising and calling the police and making all of these really terrifying situations happen. And it may not be about changing their minds or letting them be wherever they are in the process of understanding how other people function in the world or that they deserve to be there or why they feel the need to police. But it really is about finding ways to peacefully coexist. And that means hitting the reset button early and often, small gestures, small investments. I think I understand your vision. Yeah, definitely. But also with education. Yes. And when bad behavior is happening, being very clear that it's unacceptable, right? There's a place for kind words and small gestures and all, like clearly I've just spent time talking to you about it. And there's also a time for kind of saying, we now need to find a better way forward too. Um, And I think that's, you know, what we all are working on. I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, the CEO of Deloitte US, which is the sponsor of this podcast. Joe's one of the most thoughtful people I've met on the topics we discuss here every week. Joe, thanks for joining. Alan, pleasure to be with you. Joe, you and I have had a number of conversations about the growing demands from multiple stakeholders, employees, customers, the communities in which companies operate, as well as shareholders. In a crisis like this, all those demands just become louder and more emotional. How can you balance them? Alan, this is actually the time to prove that the sweeping statements around serving a broad cross-section of stakeholders are genuine. I mean, the trade-offs are less acute in a good economy where growth is ample. It's in times like these where you truly have to live the principles, making the right decisions to take care of your key stakeholders in the interests of maximizing the long-term value of the enterprise, even if that comes at the expense of shorter-term quarterly results. So you don't think stakeholder capitalism is going to slide backwards during this crisis? You think it's going to move forwards? We all have an obligation as a collective business community to make certain that it moves forward and to prove to those in society who are skeptical of our intentions that we genuinely mean it and that we're doing everything in our power to bring it to life in these most challenging circumstances. Joe, thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about representation in technology, but also in in all corporate life. We're just not where we want to be when it comes to gender representation, pay equity, and particularly race. When you break it down by any intersection, it all becomes even more dismal. What's your take on this? What is taking so long and, and what do we need to do to make a difference? So I am a natural optimist, so I should begin there, but I am certainly a frustrated optimist when it comes to diversity. When we look right now, we're just talking about corporations, but the same is true in most strands of life. It is hard to look at stats like only seven of the Fortune 100 are run by women, 7%, right? As far as I know, we're about 50% of the population. So the numbers just don't stack up. 
I do think it starts with showing people role models. So the you can't be what you can't see remark really stays front of brain for me. So I think we need to get women, people of color, LBGTQ+, right, whatever diversity we're looking for, we need to see that moving up through our companies and ending up in senior positions. When I came to Nextdoor, I definitely came with a strong point of view about women and women leaders. And so it's probably not surprising that in a year and a half, our board and board observers today are at 50-50. Our senior executive team is very close to 50-50. And beyond diversity and things like gender, I really also tend to look for diversity in people's background. And what I mean by that is it's easy often in the U.S. to build a very U.S. company because the U.S. is such a large market in and of itself. But I'm always looking when I'm building a global platform, because Nextdoor is in 11 countries, for people who bring global perspectives. And so I'm also proud of the fact that I think two-thirds of our executive team at Nextdoor were born outside the United States, for example. I think you have to be very explicit in your goals. You have to hold yourself accountable, hold your team accountable. And I think right now, all of us are doing that same look for people of color and saying, how do we grow particularly the black population in our companies. I think the tech universe has a lot of work to do there. You know, it's by being explicit. It's about setting goals and targets. But it's also about being a role model and a mentor and recognizing that often for someone who is diverse, their first time in a boardroom is going to feel very strange. And just reaching out and being empathetic on that front can make all the difference. And I feel it because, you know, I've walked in those shoes of what it's like the first time you do anything, the first time you go to university, the first time you're in a business setting, right? It's just not being how many of us grew up. And so it is important that those of us that are now here reach a hand down to help everyone else up. So kudos on your internal, particularly gender diversity numbers. What was the situation like when you arrived and what was your plan to make those changes? So when I arrived, we definitely had work to do. We did have a female co-founder, one of three, which is great. Nextdoor actually had a very diverse founding group. And I think that says a lot about the, the early foundation of the company. But at a board level, we really had one female board member and one female observer. So two out of, I guess, eight. At the executive team level, we had really one senior woman. You know, actually within tech companies, I think where you really need to go focus is on your technical talent because they are the people driving the product. And so you really need to make sure that group is diverse. And, and, you know, historically, it's not been very diverse when you look around Silicon Valley. You know, what we did, I mean, one is just, it is your network comes to bear, right? I, I'm a, a senior woman in tech, a senior woman in, in business. And so I have a pretty strong network. When I go out to hire, I am very clear with, you know, if it's my internal recruiter or my external recruiter, that I really want to see a diverse slate of candidates. And in fact, I am known for if I'm interviewing too many people that are all the same type, um, stopping the interview process and saying, we're going to pick this back up when we actually have a diverse slate of people. And then I think the other thing is, you know, you know, making it a topic every time you talk to someone, right? When I hired my head of engineering, who's actually a man, in hiring him, one of the reasons I told him I hired him was because of his track record at his prior company of having a very, very balanced 
uh, female engineering group. And that was, you know, so I'm setting in place almost immediately. I'm hiring you for this reason. We talk about it every one-on-one. And so he's very aware that this is one of the things I'm grading him on, maybe if I put it that way. And so I think when you're very explicit as a leader, and these topics are always on the table being talked about. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder. I mean, first of all, you're sending a strong signal. And it's amazing. People will react when you tell them what they're being graded against. Right. right? We As humans, we often want to please. And as long as we know what the scorecard is, we will aim for that. But then I think when you just make it part of the water where people have to acknowledge it, that's how you start to create change. And I'm, I'm very vocal on those fronts. And coming back to how do we make sure we have more black employees, this is another place where we're going to be very vocal about it and very explicit about what we're looking for. I just heard an amazing tip for high tech job seekers is come in with your own diversity track record, come in with your own inclusion track record. That's great. So I want to end with the nobility that's baked into the mission of next door. And the idea that we are better together and that people-centered communities can be the building blocks of changing the world for the better and uh, address some of the big issues that we all face. What is the biggest thing that you've learned about how to build these kinds of communities? And I'm going to guess that it goes all the way back to your formative years during the Troubles. I think the thing I've learned, um, gosh, it's almost making me a little emotional right now, which hasn't happened. That's okay. You're my neighbor now. It's okay. Uh, Is, you know, particularly in my first year, I actually visited in real life neighbors in every one of our countries. So I went to all 11 countries, actually bar one. I went to 10 out of 11. Um, And I was actually most struck by how we are much more alike than we are different. Mm. I was actually saddened by how many people talked about social isolation and loneliness. And it wasn't just, you know, I may be expected to hear that perhaps from older neighbors, but I was hearing it across the spectrum from teenagers to young moms to 40-sums, maybe getting divorced, to older people. And on the counter side how many had found solace in their neighbors in a way they didn't expect. So whether it was by getting together around a table and breaking bread, a kind of a neighbor's table idea, whether it was, you know, setting up, I had a group in Paris that had my favorite to date still, which is chocolat, conversation et café. So my three favorite things, coffee, chocolate, (laughs) and chat. It was wonderful and uplifting to see how that in real life, people were able to come together even when they were very different from each other. Mm -hmm. And then from that, often how they would dig into tough, tough things. Um, In Australia, I met with a group that had gotten together around kind of gentrification, I guess, going on in their area. Um, They had had a huge kind of almost fist fight about bus routes. (laughs) And Nextdoor had brought them together in real life. And, you know, they discovered... They had kids the same age. They cared about their local businesses. And so they were able to have constructive conversations to ultimately get to a place where people could get the transit they needed to get to work or to get their kids to school, but without it being disruptive to the environment. So I think that's the bigger purpose that I seek, which is, you know, unfortunately, COVID is preventing a lot of in real life right now. Mm -hmm. But I think as we're getting, you know, coming to terms with our new normal, 
we are able to still have some community building, even if it's socially distanced. And so how do we get people having those tough conversations, but in real life? And we, we touched on racism, and I certainly don't want to shy away from it, because that's a place where I see some very tough conversations mm-hmm. beginning to unfold. We have a neighbor in San Diego who posted in response to a Black Lives Matter comment, an All Lives Matter comment, And a black mother was willing to say, I really want to explain to you why that is hard to hear and, you know, actually actively hurts. And after sitting down and discussing it and recognizing how that mother had to have a very different conversation with her son than the white mother was having with her teenage son, they were able to actually create empathy and understanding. It didn't solve the world's problems all in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. But I think the neighborhood is the unit of change. And I think the only way we will solve these big societal problems is starting at a grassroots level. Well, I'm going to post this interview on Nextdoor and see if I can meet some more of my neighbors. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) You're a good neighbor, Sarah. Thank you so much for being on Leadership Next. Thank you. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 